process. You know that, right? And you may not know who you've impacted, but you've probably impacted more people than you'll ever realize. That's why it's important for us to just stay faithful with the gospel that Jesus has given us. Amen. If you would stand with me, please, and open your Bibles to the book of Luke. The book of Luke chapter 10. going to begin reading in verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, when you got it, say so. And it says this, it says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly, do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down to Jerusalem, to Jericho. And fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was his neighbor, was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Lord, we thank you today for loving us. We thank you for not passing us by. We thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And this morning, we humble our hearts before you and before your word. And God, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Let us hear what you're saying, Lord, to your church. And let us respond in faith, bringing you glory and honor, for you are worthy, God. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline so you can follow along in the introduction. You can take some notes. Uh, we want to be sure you're able to do that. And as always, I encourage you uh, to please, please make sure that you use this as a tool for you to continue to meditate on the text of Scripture that we're um, reading through this morning and that we're talking through. And then also, I encourage you to share with someone else. Share with someone who uh, needs to grow in their faith, someone who needs to hear the gospel, someone who uh, you're working with. Share with them what you're learning as well. So that way you will be a person who is making disciples because that's that's what this is about, right? It's not about just keeping it to ourselves. I think the video reminds us of that. If we will share with others, we can have lasting impact in the people's lives, and that's what we want to do as a church. And so we are continuing in the Whenever Necessary series, uh, Learning Evangelism from Jesus. And today we're going to talk about Jesus and the Bible teacher. And so if you look at your outline, there 
that some of the most lost people are those who have religious knowledge or who would be considered experts in the law. Like this man, they are blinded by their knowledge and lost in their sin. It's amazing to me, like, as, as, you, as you grow and as you start listening to different people, some of the smartest people and some of the people that seem to have the most Bible knowledge, a lot of times they are the most deceived. They are the most lost. Uh, some of them don't, I mean, they're, 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 they don't even believe. You know, there was a statistic that was out. I don't know what, it, what, it, what the exact number was, but it was on how many pastors are actually pastoring churches and don't even believe the Bible. Now, that may sound crazy to you. Why would they do that? You know why? Because it's a profession, and it's something they went to school for, and it's something that they learned, and yet they don't believe what it is they're preaching. They, you, you have conversations with some of them, and, and you really like, well, do you believe the Bible's inspired? Like, that was one thing that I just recently picked up, the difference between, you know, believing that the Bible is 100% is inspired by God, that it is inerrant, right, and, and, that, and that, 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 that there are no errors in the scriptures, or the other side of the idea is that the Bible is good for faith and practice, but it's not perfect. You know there's people that believe that, right? There's plenty of people that believe that. They believe that the Bible is not, is not perfect. It's got errors in it. There's contradictions in it. There's things that, are, that, that, that don't align, and yet they believe that for faith and practice, it's good. And there's a lot of Christians that believe that, right? But what, what do you believe? I mean, just think about that for a moment. What do you believe? Do you believe that this is God's holy word, that this, that this word right here has a dual inspiration? What does that mean? It means that God spoke, men listened, and they wrote. And simultaneously, something mystical happened. And it was that their words were God's words, and God's words were their words. Just at that moment, not every other time in their life, but when they were writing these words, that these are the very words of God. I'm not talking about the version of the Bible you have, because we need to know better than that, right? Like, our English Bibles were translated. Hello, somebody, right? We need, to, we need to remember that. Nonetheless, the original documents, those original documents, those things are the actual word of God. And the sad reality is there's a lot of people that don't believe that. In churches today, they don't believe that. And so we have to hold on to what Scripture says. But we realize this, and I want you to think about this. We must keep in mind that if our knowledge of Scripture doesn't result in a heart filled with love, we are being puffed up, not built up and are potentially on the path of destruction with a Bible in our hands that has reached our heads but hasn't affected our hearts. If we are reading the Bible, if we are in church, if we are in communion with the saints, and all of this is not leading to a heart filled with love and compassion, if that's not occurring, then we need to check ourselves because we could have all the knowledge in the world. And Paul says what? Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And what's supposed to happen is the love in our hearts toward others is supposed to grow more and more toward them. It's supposed to grow more and more we real. And the scriptures warn us that in, these day, that, that in these latter days, the love of many will grow cold. The absolute opposite. It doesn't say their Bible knowledge will wane. <laughs> it doesn't say their religiosity will, hit, will stop being. It just says that the love of many will grow cold cold and so we need to always keep our hearts in check and so I want you to think about this this morning because we're dealing with religious experts religious experts who are lost are hard to reach but are worth the effort religious efforts who are lost are hard to reach but are worth the effort and I and when I use the word religious experts I want you to know I use that word loosely 
Because I don't mean that, that people that have PhDs next to their name, that those are the only religious experts. There's plenty of people that don't have a degree, that never went to a Bible college, that never graduated from college that, and, and, and on any level, and yet they are religious experts. Why? Because there's tons of books out there that are written. You can go out there, you can become a religious expert. All you got to do is just read a lot and go and study. You can do that on your own. You don't need to go to college for that kind of stuff, right? So the truth is this, is that we have this, this reality of people around us, and, and I'm going to tell you where a lot of people get their expertise from. Uh, it's like that YouTube university. Hello. <laughs> That's where, that's where many experts find themselves. That's where they find all their information. They Google it. They, they, they go to YouTube, and they find somebody who's real smart about some particular thing. And I, and I just wonder, I mean, I really wonder this, like, how many of them actually study? How many of them have actually cracked open a book that deals with history and actually read some of the stuff that they believe? You know why half of the people today are deceived? It's not because of anything new. It's because they're listening to old lies repackaged. That's all it is. The Da Vinci Code, it's an old lie repackaged, y'all. It is nothing new. People get all, oh my goodness. No, it's a lie. It's not true. It's already been debunked. All you have to do is read a book. Hello. You can also go to YouTube because it'll tell you some stuff there as well. However, I want you to read. I want you to, I want you to dig deep. I don't want you to depend on somebody who seems knowledgeable and seems to know stuff. And, and then when you're dealing with your religious expert friends that have been to church, they've been to Sunday school, they know all the Bible stories, those people have all of the answers, those religious experts that seem to know something about your faith, I, well, what I want you to do is I want you to know they may be tough to reach. You know why? Because they've already made up their mind. They've already, they, they have already decided against Christianity. But what I want you to know is that they are tough to reach, but they're worth the effort. You know why? Because they're souls that are lost. They're souls that are dying in their sins. They're souls that will spend an eternity separated from a God who loves them. We don't want to be those people who are passive, do we? We want to be those people who are actively engaged. At least I hope we do. That's why we're going through this series, trying to encourage that in us. And so the first thing this morning I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must discern the motives of those who are coming to us. We must discern the motives of those who are coming to us in, a, in, 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 a, in an evangelistic context. Right? I mean, I think this goes anyway when we're dealing with people, but in an evangelistic context in particular, we need to be those who are discerning the motives of those who are coming to us. Look at verse 25 because it helps us to know what the motives are of this particular lawyer is what he's called here. And some of your Bibles will say expert in the law. It says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up. And so he was there apparently listening to Jesus communicating. He stood up to, and, and tested him. He wasn't asking a genuine question. He was testing him, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so he's listening to Jesus as this teacher that has some kind of depth of knowledge. He's seen him, heard him cast out demons. If you read the context of Luke here, you find out that he had just, Jesus had just sent out 70 of his disciples, or 72, to go and preach the gospel. And as they preached, they came back and they were overwhelmed because demons were being cast out in the name of Jesus. They had a certain level of authority that was overwhelming. And Jesus is like, listen, don't let that be the thing that motivates you. And so this teacher gets up and he begins to ask this question. And here's what you know is that in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, the apostle Peter admonishes his hearers what? To be ready to give an answer to all of those who ask you about the hope that you have. In other words, the implication is someone is going to ask you a question. 
Someone is going to come to you and ask you about this hope you have. And they may not come outright and say, hey, tell me about the hope you have, because they might, may, may not even know how to verbalize what it is, but they may come to ask you, why do you live the way you live? You know why you live the way you live, church? Here's, the, here's why you live. It is because you either have hope or you don't. Are you here? We live how we live because we either have hope or we don't. That's the reason I make the decisions I make. That's the reason I think the way I think. That's the reason I live how I live in all areas of my life. It is because I have hope or I do not. I don't care. I'm in despair. And so you have this hope. And so someone may come and ask you a question. And what we need to do is we need to do what? We need to think about the question that is being asked to us. Is this a person who is coming that is our faith is on trial? Is that the, re the reason they're coming to us? Because they're trying to trip us up about what we believe? They're disingenuous with the question that they're bringing to us? Or is this someone who may want to try our faith? See, we need to be able to discern between the two. See, when we read the text here, we can see clearly because Luke makes it clear for us who it is or what the motivation of the person's heart. The expert in the law, his motivation wasn't pure. He was solely testing Jesus. He was trying to trap Jesus. And here's the problem. The problem is you and I, just like Jesus at that moment, think about it now. At that moment, Jesus didn't have the narrator Luke in his ear saying, hey, this guy's just testing you. He didn't have that, did he? No, he had the Holy Spirit in him, did he not? He was filled with the Spirit. Can I tell you something, church? You and I are filled with the same Holy Spirit. We have that same Holy Spirit living in us. The Spirit of God dwells in you and I, and we can be discerning, and we can know. I mean, the Spirit will bear witness. Is this person coming with a genuine question that I really need to get deep in, and I really need to try to convince them, and I really need to show them what I believe, or is this someone who's just blowing smoke? We can know this by the Spirit of God. See, as we listen, as we listen to what people are communicating, we'll begin to know some stuff about what is going on in their hearts. The Holy Spirit is in us. It can be tempting, and let me tell you something, church, it can be tempting. When someone comes to you and asks you a question about your faith, or someone comes, they want to talk to you about your faith, it's real tempting to jump head into a, a gospel presentation with them. Right? Like, oh my goodness, finally somebody asked, right? Like, Bishop's been talking about this for weeks. Somebody finally asked. You're like ready to just go in, right? You're ready to, it doesn't matter. You're going no matter what occurs. But wait a second, pause for a moment. Is that person really asking the question for the right reason? Is this a person who you're going to help? Or is this a person that doesn't really want any help from you? It is important for us. Like the, the scriptures tell us in context, James says that we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, right? That's what he says. But here's what I want to say. I want to add a little caveat to that, and it is this. We should be quick to listen to the Spirit of God that is inside of us. When someone is coming to us asking us questions about our faith, we should be quick to listen. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at how we deal with that and how we can be uh, not, not so just on our heels, but we can actually be on the offensive while we are being prepared. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must actively... Listen to those we are engaging. We got to listen to what they're saying, do we not? We got to hear what's coming out of their mouth. See, this man, look what Jesus says. I love the way Jesus does this. He asks him, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question, is it not? That's a great question. I mean, think about it. If somebody came to you and asked you that question, wouldn't you be like, oh, yes, glory to God. Somebody is asking me, how do they get eternal life? I got the answer, right? I know how you get eternal life. And we may want to automatically just let them know, hey, well, let me tell you how you get eternal life. 
But you know what Jesus does? He does something completely different. He asks the guy a question. He doesn't respond to him with the answer. He asks him a question, right? And when he asks him this question, this is where, and this is where I believe that the motive of his heart was exposed. Because when Jesus asked him the question, the guy didn't follow up with a question and say, listen, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. I mean, I, I know what the law says, but, but apparently you have something I don't understand. I don't really understand the law well enough to be able to answer this question. I have a genuine desire. So what does Jesus do? Jesus asks him the question. He says, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so the guy, he couldn't help himself, right? <laughs> he wanted to show his religious knowledge. See, because this is what religious experts want to do. They want to go tit for tat with you. They want you to go back and forth with them. They want to show you how astute they are. They want to show you how many YouTube videos they've listened to. Come on now. That's what they want to do. They want to make sure you know that they're well studied. They want to make sure you know that you're not talking to somebody who doesn't know anything. They want you to know that they know some stuff. And this teacher of the law was the same way except he didn't have YouTube. Hello. <laughs> so what did he do? And the teacher comes back and he says, so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Doesn't that sound like somebody else's answer? You remember when Jesus was asked the question in another, in another, uh, another place where another person was testing him? Remember they asked him this question? They said, what is the greatest commandment of all? Remember that? Didn't Jesus say these exact same words? So wouldn't that mean this guy gave a great answer? I mean, come on now, he gave Jesus his answer. Maybe he was present when Jesus gave that answer. I don't know. And he was simply saying, yeah, I done heard you say that. Let me, let me break it down for you. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus pokes back at this guy, and this is what he says back to him. He said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Notice what he says. Do this and you will live. In other words, it's not about just knowledge. It's not just about the, 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 the mental capacity that you have to grasp what the scriptures say. It is about you living what the scriptures say. So you can be a religious expert and know everything that the Bible says on a specific topic. You can know how to break that down for them in the Greek, in the Hebrew, in the Aramaic. You can understand all of that stuff. That does not mean that you're actually doing what it is that you're supposed to be doing. So Jesus says to him, there, do listen, do this and you will live. And so why is this? See, see, this guy couldn't resist the temptation of flaunting his biblical knowledge. And then what does he do? He seeks to justify himself. We see this in the next verse, do we not? He says there, and, and he wanted to justify himself in verse 29. The question for you is this, why did he want to justify himself? Want to know why? Because he knew it all, but he wasn't living it all. He knew it all, but he wasn't living it all. He knew the right answers, but he wasn't living it, and so he was seeking justification. Now, I've said this to you guys before. Everybody is seeking some kind of justification. Everybody wants to justify their attitudes towards people, their actions towards people, their thoughts towards people, the way they deal with situations. Everybody has a justification, a rationalization, a reason for why they did it. Man, from a young age, y'all remember that, right? I mean, if you have young kids, you know this is because this is something that happens now presently. If you've got older kids, it still happens with them and if you're an adult you can lie about all other stuff but here's the thing you do it too hello see those little kids they used to do it and did they would come to you well why well, well, well you know you need to go and do this well hey he did that it don't matter what he did hey you know I you know, growing up you see someone else do something well his parents let him do it I, I, you're, I, I'm not their parent hello right but why are they saying that right they're justified. This morning, Josiah and I were getting dressed, and he's wearing a sweater over his, over, over his shirt. And I was like, hey, man, let me button the top button of your shirt. And he was like, you don't have your top button buttoned. 
I'm like, all right, bro, I'm not going to argue this one. <laughs> but nonetheless, what is he doing? He, he wanted to keep the button open, so he looked for reasoning. He looked for rationale behind why. He looked for justification. Church, here's the thing. People are always looking for justification. That's why they become experts in the law. That's why they become ex experts in your religion because they want to justify themselves. They want to believe that it's just about doing good works. They want to believe that the, the Bible's messed up, so how can I trust it? They want to believe that kind of stuff. Why? Because they want to justify the way they think. The same way this guy did. He wanted to justify his behavior. And so the question is this. We need to be sure that we learn how to ask questions. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. But what did this guy do? He had a choice. He had a choice to humble himself before what Jesus was saying and just say, you know what, teacher? You're right. I need to live. I need to do those things. Instead, he's like, hold on a second. I have another question. I have a follow-up. <laughs> I have a follow-up. I, I, I want to find the loophole, you know. I know I like loopholes. Some of y'all like loopholes. <laughs> we figure the way around that, right? I mean, it's, it's natural in us. Come on, man. I mean, that's just our sinful bent, right? We want to say, what is the loophole? What is the way I, wait a second, maybe I missed it, right? Because he knew, he would, I mean, when Jesus spoke, he knew that Jesus was speaking to his heart. He knew that Jesus was dealing directly with him when he said those things and challenging him. And so rather than repent and respond to the revelation, he decided what? He decided to go ahead and give some answers and ask some more questions. And so why do we have to actively listen? Because we've got to pay attention. You see, when, when I say actively listen, see, some of you in marriage, is going to help you in marriage, not just in evangelism. <laughs> actively listening is called paying attention. Hello. Right? It's, it's not like looking at your phone and then, yeah, okay, babe, and then, you know, you go a week later, hey, I told you about this appointment. What do you mean? Like, no, 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 no. Be active. Right? Stop doing everything you're doing. Pay attention to what's being said. Right? Pay attention to what's being communicated. This helps you at work. This helps you in other areas. Be actively listening, hearing what people are saying to you. And that way you can what? You can respond. But don't listen. Here's another thing you do. It's not just that most of us, many of us, we're, you know, we're smart enough not to look at a phone when someone's talking to us and all that kind of stuff. But you know what we do? We even do this stuff in church. But here's the thing. We're, we're steady thinking about what our response is going to be. We're steady thinking about what, the way we're going to respond. We're not even hearing what they're saying. We're, I mean, I don't know about you. I've been in plenty of conversation like that. And, and you know what? And listen, I may even be guilty, glory to God. I can't even lie. I wouldn't know because I'm deceived at the moment. But here's the thing. <laughs> in a conversation, it's a lot easier to sit outside of the conversation and be the third, per, you know, third party listening and, and, you know, being the referee in a conversation. It's a lot easier to be sitting there and be like, man, did you even hear what they said? Because you're not even responding to anything that they just said. You're saying whatever you thought needed to be said at the moment. And so for us, when, when it comes to evangelism, we have to actively listen. Why? Here's why. Listen, church. Jesus said this. I said this last week, I believe. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, when someone is seeking to justify themselves, you know what comes out of their mouth? Justification. If you're not paying attention, guess what you won't do? You won't catch it. You're steady trying to move in, a, in the direction that they're not ready to move in. And so it becomes problematic and it becomes difficult. So we need to be hearing what they're saying. Their words will betray them. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must not be afraid to witness to people right where they are. We must not be afraid to witness to people right where they are. And this one we're going to get practical, but I want you to notice this guy asked Jesus this question. And, and, and here's what, what, what I want you to realize as well as you look at this narrative here. I want you to notice Jesus never answered his question. You notice that? 
He never gave him an answer. He never once answered. He never said, let me explain to you how you get eternal life. Jesus never said that. Jesus never gave him the good news of the gospel. Why did he not do that? Let me tell you why. Because he knew where the guy was at. There's this one statement that I remember from the way of the master, Ray Comfort. And he talks about it this way. He says, law to the proud, grace to the humble. Law to the proud, grace to the humble. And so what happens is God's law, we have to know how to use God's law. God's laws, like the Ten Commandments, right? And the way of the master, they go through the Ten Commandments. When someone cannot recognize God's laws, when someone cannot recognize God is holy, when someone cannot recognize that they are sinful, that they are in opposition to God, when someone cannot recognize that, you don't need to give them any kind of life raft. Are you here? You don't need to throw them a life vest because they don't even realize they're drowning. Are you here? Right? And so what we need to do is we need to minister to people in and, and, and the way that Jesus did. Instead, what does Jesus do? How does Jesus deal with him? Jesus deals with this guy by telling him a story, right? And the story has four main characters. It's got a troubled man, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Sounds like the start of a good joke. Hello. <laughs> These four guys went into a bar. No, that's not how it goes. <laughs> But the story is what? You guys, we just read it together. The story's clear. There's a man, he falls among these thieves. He gets beaten, he gets stripped, he's left half dead. And then the scripture says what? A priest comes by. Now, now what is a priest, y'all? A priest is not a Catholic priest at this time. A priest is someone who is the highest level of holiness for the children of Israel. He's more than an expert in the law. He would be above this expert of the law. He is a priest. And you know what the priest does? The priest crosses the street. Walks by him. Doesn't even look at this dude that got beat up, about to die. And then the next person, the Levite. The Levite is the one that's right under the priest. The next holy man, right? So he is there, and what, what happens? What happens is he does the same thing. This is, he, if you read it, he actually says he kind of looked. Oh, no, I can't deal with that. Went around, homeboy. And then a Samaritan <laughs> comes by. Samaritan's like, oh, my goodness. Picks the dude up cleans him up, puts him on his animal, takes him to an inn, takes care of him for the night, and then he goes on ahead and he leaves, gives money to the innkeeper and says, hey, I'm leaving, this person needs help, take care of them, when I get back, I'll fix the account if, you owe, if, if he owes any more. And then Jesus says to him, who was the neighbor? Because that was the question, who's my neighbor? And Jesus is like, so who was the neighbor? And you know what the guy, the guy's response, he shows his, his, his self-righteousness because he says, this is his words, he showed mercy on him. I want you to notice his answer. Listen, church, we have to listen to the answers people give. He says, he who showed mercy. He didn't say the Samaritan. You want to know why? Y'all remember last week, don't you? You remember how disgusting Samaritans were? Do you think that this story was offensive to that guy? 100%. Because you know what Jesus just said? Jesus said, the people you think are dogs, the people you think are less than heathens, the people you think are worthy of nothing. As a matter of fact, let's pause for a moment. I want you to think about the person that you think the least of. Whoever that is, I don't know who it is. I don't know who that person is. Think about that person. That person, just get him in your mind. Get him there, right? Think about them. Think about them. Think about them. <laughs> now think about that person being the hero of the story. It would make you cringe. That's what Jesus just did. He just said to them, listen, these people you think so bad of, he was the one that showed mercy. He was the one that wasn't so pious and self-righteous, that he actually got involved with someone who was hurting. 
And so what do we learn from Jesus on an evangelistic level? If you're taking notes, these are the notes that I would give you from today's um, walking through this story with Jesus, what he did evangelistically. The first thing is this, is that he understood, he took, he took his time because he understood evangelism takes time. He didn't just jump, remember what I said, he didn't just jump headlong into a gospel presentation. What Jesus did was he took his time. He understood, listen, this guy's not ready to hear the, hear the grace of God. This guy's not ready to hear the goodness of God. Jesus never answered the guy's question. He didn't rush to a gospel presentation so he could come to church and say, hey, I shared the gospel today. <laughs> that isn't what Jesus did. What Jesus does is he took time to discern where the man was. He wasn't ready for the good news of the gospel. And church, I'm going to say something that some people may totally disagree with. But it is okay to leave people right there. It is okay to leave people. As a matter of fact, I would say this. It is good to leave people right there. Leave them the way Jesus did. You know what this guy had to wrestle with when he walked away from Jesus? He had to wrestle with his own pride. He had to wrestle with his own heart. He had to wrestle with, man, why did I even ask that question? Why did I ask him what I need to do to inherit eternal life? Because he never answered me. Why, why, why is it that I asked him that? And man, why is he saying this story? Like, is he trying to say that I'm that guy that would think I know so much, and yet I would leave somebody hurting and in a bad situation like that? Like, why is it? And man, why is this Samaritan the hero of the story? Hello. Let him wrestle with and struggle with those things because those are the things that God will use to humble them. The law of God humbles us. The second thing is this. He asked questions. Church, we have to learn to ask sincere, probing questions. When it comes to evangelism, and even, and I would say even in counseling, when you're not evangelizing, when you're having a conversation with someone and you're trying to deal with a particular topic, learn to ask sincere, probing questions. That's what Jesus did. Now, you guys know Jesus liked to ask questions, right? But let me help you to understand how, many, how, how much Jesus liked to ask questions. This is, and why is this so important? It's this important because this is one of the most effective ways to evangelize someone. When you start asking them questions, you know where they're at, and many times they start answering their own questions, and then you share the gospel with them. You share how someone comes across that line of unbelief to the place of belief. But you'll know where someone is by learning to ask questions. But let me look at, look at it this way. In the book of Matthew, you want to know how many times Jesus, how many questions Jesus asked in an evangelistic context? 94 questions. In the book of Matthew, 94 questions Jesus asked. I think he was a pretty good question asker. Hello. <laughs> In the book of Mark, you look at the book of Mark, how many? 59. The book of Mark is a short book, right? 59 questions in the book of Mark in an evangelistic context. In the book of Luke, how many? 82 questions Jesus asked in the book of Luke. In the gospel of John, 49. He asked 49 questions. Here's what I want to say to you. They were not sales questions. They were sincere questions. There's a difference. He wasn't just trying, Jesus was not just trying to close the deal and get these people out of, or get this guy out of his face. That wasn't it. Jesus was asking sincere, genuine questions to get to the heart of the matter here. Church, we need to learn to ask questions. We don't always have to give all of the answers. Ask questions that are sincere. The next thing is this. He revealed the secrets of the heart. We have to help people see themselves. Questions that are sincere help do that. Because when we ask them questions, when we ask them what's going on in their lives, when we ask them where they are in their faith, when we ask them why they feel the way they feel, see, that's a big one. Why do you feel the way you feel? 
See, because a lot of times somebody needs to, needs to be helped past some kind of church hurt that they had when they were a kid or something happened in their life. And they have all these other defense mechanisms that are coming out at you. And they're spitting all this other stuff at you. And you're steady trying to deal with all of the surface stuff when the heart issue is they were just hurt when they were a kid in church. They, 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 or, or as an adult in church, they experienced something. Their pastor may have fallen. Something may have occurred. I mean, there's so many horror stories of things that happen. You know why, church? Because we are imperfect. And as imperfect people, you know what we do? We offend one another. We hurt one another. And let me tell you what we also do as imperfect people. We don't tell anybody. We just walk away. We don't ever have a follow-up conversation about things, and then we're bothered by something. And rather than deal with that, our sinful nature says, yeah, I'll just find somewhere else. Or you know what, I'm not going back to church. Whatever it is, I don't know. But here's the thing. We have to learn to get people to the heart because the truth of the matter is, is that we have to realize, we have to realize 100% that most people are not self-aware. Most people, many times, people don't even know what's going on inside their heart. They don't even know why they feel the way they feel. I mean, we, we, I mean, think about it. Think about yourself for a moment. Do you ever have moments like that where you're like, man, I don't even know why I feel like this. Like, I don't even know what's going on inside of me, right? You thought it was just a puberty thing. Nope. <laughs> it's like all of your life, you go through these changes, these emotions. You start feeling a certain kind of way. Certain things start coming up. And, 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 and you, don't, you don't even know why sometimes, right? It takes some reflection. It takes some time to actually sit down, pray through. A lot of people don't even do that, especially people that are lost. People that think they know it all, they've already got the answers. And so learning to ask questions. But here's why this is so important, church, because we have to realize this is God who does this. We don't do this. I can't expose someone's heart. I can ask questions that will bring their heart to the surface. That doesn't mean they're ever going to see it. Are you here? And you can argue with them all day, but here's the deal. You have to be prayerful and learn how to ask sincere questions so that way you can bring someone to that place where they can go ahead and they can admit whatever's going on inside of their heart. And listen, they don't have to admit it to you. They may never admit it to you. They may come back to you years later. They may never come back to you. But they may come back and say, man, I remember that conversation that I had with so-and-so. And I was feeling some kind of way when they were talking to me. But man... I thank God that they actually had that conversation with me because that conversation, those questions that were digging at me, that stuff right there, it made me think. It brought me out of that place of deception. It brought me out of that place of delusion, and now I'm where I am today. The next thing I would say this is that he communicated indirectly. Church, we have to learn to speak directly and indirectly at the same time. I'm not talking about subtweeting people. Hello. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about, all right? You can use, I, I think you can use those, those, those forums, right? You can use Twitter, you can use Instagram, you can use Facebook, whatever, to actually do something that is indirect, right? But don't do it when you're trying to tell somebody specifically like you. Like that's where the problem comes in. But you can go ahead and you can do like Jesus did. You can tell a story. You can, you can go ahead and put something out there for a group of friends that you know. Or you can go ahead and you can just learn how to, man, just share some story. And, and just do it with intention of making people think. What's going on? Like, well, wait a second, were they talking to me? <laughs> I don't know if the shoe fits. See, we have to learn to do that. We have to learn not to just because, listen, sometimes, I'm going to tell you right now, not everybody's going to be able to handle a bulldozer coming at them to just totally wreck their life and make them turn from, tur turn from their sin. But someone may be able to have somebody come in through that side door and be like, hold on a second. This is what's going on. This is what's happening in your heart. 
And then all of a sudden, this, you use this indirect communication to actually communicate directly to their heart. And then the Holy Spirit gets a hold of that. And so we have to learn from Jesus how to communicate directly and not always just straight directly. See, what happens is when we tell stories and we come with this indirect, you know what happens? It stirs emotion. You know how it is. Like I just told you about the subtweeting thing. You think about someone that you called out. You know what it did, you know what it did for them? It stirred up all kind of emotion because they knew you were talking about them. Hello. Right? That's what it did. But now, when you are doing it with a gospel intentionality, when you are doing it to call someone to repentance, it's going to stir emotions. Go on ahead. You just test it. Test the theory, y'all. Use your social media to do it. Go ahead and post something controversial that has a gospel focus. Hello, somebody. All right? Post something controversial that has a gospel focus there. And, and, and watch and see how many of your non-Christian friends, family members, they start responding and chiming in. And even if they don't, I assure you they're thinking about it. Because some of them are just restraining themselves. But sometimes, if you can get controversial enough, if you can dig deep enough, that's when they're going to respond. And can I tell you what to do? You don't have to argue with them. You don't have to do anything like that. You know what you do? You know, man, I need to pray for them because God's dealing with their heart. God's dealing with them. They're actually responding to this. There's something that is happening. You don't need to convince them of your point. You know your point already. Did Jesus try to convince them of his point? Not at all. Jesus gave them like the one-liners. Okay, good. Go do that. That's what he did. He was like, okay, go do that. If this is what you believe, then go do that thing. The last thing that I would say that we can learn from Jesus here in particular is he used the law before grace. I told you this before. We must learn to use the law correctly. Church, please hear me when I say this. Proud people aren't ready for grace. Hear me. Proud people aren't ready for grace. Jesus, make, I mean, the, the scriptures make it clear. God knows the proud from afar. He didn't know them. God gives grace to who? The humble. God gives grace. I'm not telling you things about me that I think. I'm telling you what the scriptures say. God gives grace to the humble. He knows the proud from afar. And so how do you use the law correctly? You use the law to show someone where they are. You use the law to show someone what God's standards are. You use the law to make it clear what God is about, what God's word says. You use the law for those reasons. And if someone humbles themselves and they recognize, man, you're right, I'm a sinner. Man, you're right, God is holy. Man, you're right, I, you know, I, what do I do? See, you know what I love? This, these are the things that I love. I love when people, I, I was preaching a series uh, years ago, we were still in the other building, and I was preaching this series, I was preaching it on the seven churches. And you guys know that I don't do altar calls weekly or anything like that, and because I believe that God is sovereign, I believe that God is working in hearts, for sure. And so here's the thing, I'm preaching this series, and after one of the sermons, I think it was like the fourth week of the sermon, there was somebody that was in the congregation, and they came to one of our leaders, and they're like, man, I'm hearing Bishop, Bishop preach on these seven churches, and I feel so convicted because of my sin, but I don't know what to do. And the person got offended, like, hey, you need to do an altar call. I'm like, no, you need to be there to help them know what to do. See, what, what, what happens is, let me tell you what we see in the scriptures, people saying, what do I do? And then we do what? We give them the gospel of good news. We call them to repentance. And I'm not saying I'm opposed to altar calls completely. What I am saying is this, is that the truth is when people are hearing God's word, conviction is coming upon their hearts. And what should be occurring is when that person comes with that question, it is because they are broken. They are ready for that next step. Until then, man, you pray for them. Until then, you pray for them. And so the question is this, where is the gospel in this encounter then? 
And I'm going to give you three things really quickly, and we're going to wrap up. The first one is this. Grace and mercy are present in Christ. Jesus is there. Grace and mercy are there this whole time. Jesus is present in the situation. The second thing that I would say is this. They were, they were heard through Jesus' words and his demeanor. Jesus wasn't, was, wasn't belittling to this guy. Jesus wasn't disrespectful to this guy. Jesus wasn't mean to this dude. Jesus was gracious. He was kind. His words were straight. They were direct. Nonetheless, they called him to, to, to the carpet. They called him to live a certain way. But Jesus didn't go and slam him. Now, there's other times Jesus slams people straight up. And it's typically those hard-hearted religious experts that think they know it all, and Jesus comes at them for their hypocrisy. And the third thing is grace and mercy are seen in the story of the Good Samaritan. And so what we see here is we see God's grace. Even though there isn't a clear gospel presentation, there is a revelation of God's mercy. There is a revelation of God's grace. There is a revelation that we are all in need of someone to come to our rescue. And here's what I would say. Even when we don't present the good news, you and I must be committed to being good news. See, because here's the thing. The thing is, you know like I know, if every single time you see someone and you're trying to shove the gospel presentation down their throat, you know what's going to happen? They're not going to want to see you. They're not going to want to be around you. But once you've done that once, right, then you know what you need to do? You need to love them. You need to be the good news when you're there. They already heard from you. They already know where you stand. They already know what the truth is. And so now they need to be loved by you despite where they may be. They need to be loved that way. And so here's my closing question. Who does God want you to invest time in that may not yet be ready to hear the gospel? Is there someone in your life who you know you're like, man, as, as I'm going through this sermon, you might be thinking about that person. That person may have came to mind while I was, while I was preaching here. But who is it? Who is it that, man, they're not ready for the gospel. They're not ready to come across the line of faith. And yet, you know God has put them in your life. God has placed them in your life as a vessel through which the gospel can come, but, the, but where the light of Christ can shine through. Who is it in your life that God has you there for them? Think about them right now. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray for them. Father, today, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. With grateful hearts, we come to you. And we thank you because you show us how we are to deal with situations, Lord God, like this, with those who believe they know it all, with those who believe they have all the answers, with those who believe that, Lord, they know the truth, and, and Lord, they're, they're, they're set in their ways. But, Lord, we pray for them, those, those co-workers. We pray for those family members, Lord God. We pray for those neighbors. Father, today we lift them unto you, and we pray, Spirit of the living God, may you draw their hearts to you. May you draw their minds to you, and may you help us to be the light that shines, the love of Christ. May it come through us clearly and fully. God, may you glorify yourself and my brothers and sisters. Use them for your glory and honor. And give us the grace to apply these principles as we seek to make your name great and to evangelize this world for your glory and for your honor. We pray this in Jesus' good name and everyone said, amen. Come on and give the Lord a hand of praise. Good morning, church.